I'm listening to your neighbor's hood. You're listening? You're listening to Your Neighborhood, a podcast for uncomfortable culture conversation, specifically about race. With Hannah and Jackie. <laughs> hey, Jackie. Hey, Hannah. And hey, listeners, you've tuned in to Your Neighborhood podcast. Where we have uncomfortable culture conversations specifically about race. What a hot thing to be talking about right now. It's <laughs> but so you've been doing this for a while. You've been talking about race, <laughs> you know, for a while. <laughs> no, but it's 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 woo, literally and figuratively in the yeah. hot seat at this point as we record from our closets still. COVID is ramping itself back up so we are still in our hot boxes in our hot closets bringing you some hot content and we are not skirting around the issue we are jumping right in this week and we're going to be talking about police and what adjustments can be made to their role in our society oh yeah see here's the great thing about our country is that it was born out of Mm -hmm. protest and dissent I mean, literally, that's how America came to be, and it's something that we're Mm -hmm. just really good at here. It's been a great way to bring problems to the forefront. It's been a great way to solve problems. And right now, I I can say that is really true for the latter, of solving some, hopefully bringing some resolution to some Mm longstanding issues like policing. Like policing, like unnecessary use of force. You wanted to talk about how we got here, though. Yeah, unless you've been under a rock, then you probably know that we are in a time where the life of George Floyd was taken and the world saw it and the world was on pause. And it is really messed with the paradigm of many Americans about how they view policing. And it has sparked protests around the world, but also the, you know, reinvigorated people's sort of drive to have change right here in the United States. So we've got a couple different groups out there that are talking about some ways to really, one, acknowledge what happened with George Floyd, but two, prevent this sort of thing from happening again. And to also acknowledge that George Floyd's event got caught on film, but so have many others murder been caught on film which is to say that this has been happening for quite some time. It's been caught on film before. We've been outraged before. Moves have been made before. And then black lives are still being lost unnecessarily at the hands of police. And so there are these, hopefully there's a lot of energy that has come out of this perfect storm with a pandemic and people being home and them not being able to be distracted away from looking at ourselves as a country to see what is actually happening. And so we're going to talk about three of the big pushes to make adjustments to how we are policed, I guess is the way to say it, or not policed, (laughs) as the case may be. Yes. Yeah, the, the word on the street, the word in the neighborhood is there's a couple different campaigns. So you've got the eight can't wait you've got the folks that just want to defund and then you've got the folks that want to go from the eight can't wait to abolishing the police it's a lot and there are a lot lot. of different ideas in 
at first blush, it can seem overwhelming <laughs> because these different movements seemingly conflict with each other. And as we were preparing for this, I felt grossly inadequate. These topics are being covered elsewhere. There are people who have studied this longer and in more depth than we have. We're not police officers, we're not lawmakers. Uh, so what were we adding to the conversation? Right. And I just think, I think you said it best as we were discussing it, it's just perspective and giving, opening up the conversation, yeah. making it plain so that neighbors like you guys and us can have the conversation from a place of knowledge without having to be researchers or, you know, a part or, or have dug in so deep, just general knowledge to start the conversation. Because there's nothing like trying to talk about this stuff and you have yeah. no frame of reference. So we're just trying to educate the block yeah, um, and ourselves because you said that you were like felt inadequate and I felt like, okay, a lot of this I didn't know. Some of it I did know, but as I'm reading it, I'm just like, oh, I could feel my chest like just like tightening. Like it, it almost feels impossible, but it feels so possible given the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's, my, that's a hope for me, but also... I have felt probably as a lot of white people, or at least let's just say I don't think I'm alone in suddenly trying to do a lot more than I was doing before. This has kind of turned up the heat on my activism. And that's an embarrassing thing to say because it should have already been turned up. But nonetheless, here I am. And so I remember when I first saw the eight can't wait and I read through it and it all made sense to me and not knowing that there were these other things that were separate. I was like, what do I need to do? So I wrote, you know, I wrote our mayor, I wrote local people. I, I like, I was on board for eight. Can't wait. It seemed really <laughs> approachable and reasonable. Um, so maybe we should unpack that for people yeah. and then get into the other ideas so that we can kind of see why people aren't all on board for eight. Can't wait. Right. Eight can't wait was a product of campaign zero which actually on our page, if you look at the people to follow, one of the founding members was Brittany Packnett, who has since left the organization um, kind due of due to, to all of this. Um, so, I mean, part of it was the, re the things that were happening in Campaign Zero. There was a lot going on. She wrote, a, I think, an Atlantic or a Medium article just about this particular movement and Campaign Zero as a whole. But... That group is a liberal reform group that emerged out of the Ferguson protest. And so they put together this eight use of force policies that wanted they wanted to drastically reduce police violence in America. And together, all those things, they came up with these eight that could be done. Okay. And so I'm going to run them down. Right. So the group wanted a ban on chokeholds and strangleholds. One, they wanted two, they wanted to require de-escalation. Three, they wanted to require a warning before shooting. Four, they wanted to exhaust all other means before shooting. Five, they wanted to require officers to intervene when excessive force is used and report such incidents. Six, they wanted to ban shooting, ban the shooting of moving vehicles. Seven, they wanted to impose requirements on the levels of force allowed to, uh, based on the levels of resistance. And then lastly, they wanted to require a comprehensive reporting for every time use of force or threat was used for force. And I'm reading through those and I'm like, <laughs> I know I, I was scoffing and then I was getting emotional. And it's just frustrating that these seem so bare minimum. They seem so obvious. So mm. it's. 
And it's not that all these departments aren't already doing some or maybe even all of these. Some places are already have these. And you, what I thought was nice about this website is when I saw it as an action, I went to the website and you could type in your address and then it, it said, here's where you are, here's what is in place and here is what is not in place. Because what I've had a hard time determining, uh, I've had a hard time understanding what my local police do and don't do. That information has not been very transparent. So I appreciated that this website quickly said, this is protocol for your area and this is not. So here's where you need to focus your energy. Yeah. It was convenient. And that's the thing about activism right now and getting things done is, you know, those things that are convenient are the things Mm -hmm. that we're more likely to do. But the danger in that is that somebody like me could have been like, oh, I wrote to my, I wrote to my mayor. I, I, I did my action today and, you know, potentially not look deeper and see some of the criticisms of this movement. But another thing that was good about this is that because other jurisdictions are already doing these things, it's a really easy approach because you, if your department isn't already doing some of these, they can basically copy and paste the rules from another department and enact them very quickly, maybe without much resistance. Yeah, as you were talking, it was like listening to that. It's like the same thing that Alex does. Alex is a organization that writes all these bills that are really terrible for people. And then they allow folks that (laughs) that legislate on the federal level to copy and paste these bills for organizations and bring Mm -hmm. them like make it easy Mm -hmm. to do things good and bad. Right. Um, But. Yeah, uh, essentially, it is a great start, and some some uh, jurisdictions and some departments have already done this to know with no right. change, right. right? And I think that was part of it, and we'll probably get into it, you know, later of what the bigger issue is. But essentially, when I you know I I hear this, and then I go to like I, I'm from the Chicagoland area and I look at how they had like six out of the eight and how they're still disappearing protesters and how they're Mm -hmm. still (laughs) so you know it's it's tough and the the intervene one you know that Minnesota had the the duty to intervene and then we're talking about George Floyd here in Minnesota so while it is a great start, um, the sort of other conversation behind it is that there probably needs to be more than just having these sorts of rules. Um, yeah. As a, as a, as a final step, right. I'd say, because it, it is a step, as you say, for this to be a part of a, f- a more full plan, or do you think the opposition to this is so great that? Because it's ignoring so many other things like what you just brought up that it wouldn't be included. I don't know. I feel like in some ways that this will feel like, uh, what do they call it? It's Uh theater change, right? Like it's performative it would be because you do yeah performative and you you do have departments that are so have such deep rooted bias and racist and classist sort of 
practices that even with those things, these things that they're going to find sort of creative ways to still not be great to non-white communities specifically Mm -hmm. or even poor communities. So you've had policing entities that have like creatively decided, okay, so we can't put you in a chokehold. We're going to stop you for whatever and Mm -hmm. get you in court and take Mm -hmm. your money. And you know what I mean? Like they will creatively find ways to ruin your life, not be great. Yeah. And that's not all stations. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, the penalty for being poor or the penalty for being non-white. You're going to pay it one way or another. So, yeah, I just I can see why it's great, but I, I can also see why it ain't enough. Yeah. Well, the claim on the website is that it's going to reduce use of force deaths by 72 percent. But the fact is. If you or your loved one does not fall in that 72%, 72% isn't enough. That's so enough. even though that number has been debunked, I still don't think we should. That's still like a D, isn't it? If we're grading mm. terms. <laughs> 72 uh, is okay. a C. Low C. Yeah. It's well, low C is not great when it comes to lives. Yes. Ask my son when he sees that on his report card. See, it ain't it. It ain't enough. You're gonna we be seeing more of your books. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely, and that's what I think it is. Here is that we as Americans are in a place where it's it's something, but it ain't enough, and that's okay. Because again, we are a country born protest. of protest so, and dissent. What else do we have? What other okay. options? So then we've had another option here um, that is um, simply defunding the police. And this one is this one, I think, catches people up because when you hear defund, if you don't look into it deeper, it can seem like, oh, you're going to take all the money away from the defund sounds like abolish and defund as a movement is not to abolish. It is to cut the budget such that some of those funds are going into building communities in various ways instead of hyper-policing areas. Yeah, and that, like I said, I, you don't want to get folks mixed up. We're talking reform, we're talking defund, we're talking downsize, we're talking abolish, and I think you have to put those in different categories because um, defund means what it is. It's We're going to make this entity smaller and we're going to make it more accountable. Unfortunately, if 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 we are all being honest with each other as neighbors here is that our governments locally and nationally have been defunding our schools mm-hmm. forever. Right. Have been, <laughs> you know, like what else? We've been defunding public transportation. We've been defunding social programs like that's mm-hmm. a real thing. That's a real thing mm-hmm. that has been happening. And. If you're in, you know, sort of preparing and trying to get to know the funding side, because what are we actually defunding? What's the cost? Um, My encouragement would be to take a look at your city's budget last year. How much of that your local budget went to policing? How much of it went to education? How much it how much of it went to something that matters to you? And if policing is the thing that matters for you, then that's then that's great. See how much money that that entity got. Mm-hmm. It is an institution. But I think just it's like important to compare any it. Of the other. 
to other institutions that you believe build a strong community. Absolutely. So if, if you are a person who believes in policing and doesn't doesn't want that to be less, still compare that budget with your area's education budget. How are we also building up, not just reprimanding? And I think the ultimate question is here is, do I want to build a community or do I want to build mm-hmm. a department? Like, what are what is more important, that we build the department up or that we build that community? And to your point, the fear is real. The, the fear is super real. So defunding, essentially, that that is what it is. But I have a concern about defunding that I found okay, online. Go for it. And I don't know, I, this would probably de- vary department to department, but something said if you cut a significant amount of funding that's going into a certain police department, that is going to look like cuts in jobs. And the they will first cut the more junior officers. And the more junior officers is across the board where you see the most diversity. So if you cut that money, then you cut some of the people who might be moving up to make change from within question mark i could see that i could also see um how we have that conversation uh, I, I would also move that into the conversation of why is it that we're waiting on the force that was just hired to oh, be yeah. the diversity change? oh yeah um <laughs> so We actually reached out to some of our local police precincts to have a conversation in anticipation of this. Mm -hmm. Actually, a while ago we reached out. Yep. Yeah, this was early May, late April. Um, And we have a lot of different areas where we are. And we heard back from two police precincts and were granted an interview with one. And we asked a specific question about what the breakdown of race and age was we asked a specific question about diversity and we were told that the person who was going to speak with us wouldn't be able to address those questions. So it's difficult to get to the heart to get the answer to that. It is because I think that what we spot and I don't want to get it twisted when we're talking about diversity, we're talking about um, economic diversity we're talking about eth- ethnic diversity. We're talking about life background experience mm-hmm. diversity, right? Like that as a whole, okay? Like is everyone in your department coming from a criminal justice background? Is everyone coming from one specific uh, community? You, like it's there's a lot to diversify or understanding mm-hmm. that sort of force. That, so I feel like it's important that we have access to that. But like you said, we were kind of just like left with our hands up like, uh, well, the world may never know. Yeah, (laughs) Which is not great. (laughs) I wish it were a nine can't wait. And one of those things was like transparency about this kind of information, because I don't see how the withholding of what the diversity level and age breakdown of your force I don't see how that information could be used against you in a way except for being except for people saying do better (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know I don't know either I don't know either but here it is we are at a point where data is king so is the dollar Mm -hmm. data and dollar are king and we invest what matters and this sort of protecting 5-0 in that kind of way. I mean, especially with 
that kind of data it's not that's on it's kind of unacceptable it's unacceptable it's yeah yeah let's take the kind of yeah you're absolutely right thanks and I saw it in your eyes the way you look like, no, Jackie, don't say kind of. It is yeah, freaking we're here unacceptable. To say it, so let's say it. Right. And so then we have the other side of that. That's defunding. And then we have the other piece, which is eight to abolish. So break down eight to abolish for me. <laughs> okay. Here we go. So. Eight to abolish is a response to eight can't wait. And so it's a group of police abolitionists that have put together this sort of campaign, eight, uh, eight to uh, abolish, which is the non-reformist reforms, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, so they want to reduce the scale, scope, power, authority and legitimacy of criminalizing institutions across the board uh, at the same time they want to tear down the systems that require that we build up sort of life-sustaining uh, life-sustaining systems that reduce prevent and better address the harm of what they do and so what they're asking that we do is defund the police demilitarize uh, demilitarize communities uh, remove police from schools free people from jails and prisons Repeal laws that criminalize survival, invest in communities of self-governance, provide a safe housing for everyone, and invest in care, not cops. I saw a figure that said so, 3 million students have a cop at their school, but not a nurse. This is a fact. That was the case at my high school. I, I, and I've been out of high school for a, I, oh, a minute. I'm it is I'm saying this because um, I don't know what month it was. It was pre-COVID, but I, maybe it was January or February. I was at a school board uh, function where they were talking about the budget. And I just remember trying to fight like my anger and pissed offness about the school's budget. They wanted to hire uh, 21 more security guards to be in schools now they specifically it it originally was sro's school resource officers and i said okay let's do the let's do the math on that when i finally got the number they they changed their their words to say no it's just security guards Mm -hmm. well it's still policing right 21 that is seven hundred thousand dollars about that they're going to invest actually it's almost eight hundred thousand dollars that they're going to put into having a body at the schools when i know for a fact that there are schools that do not have a nurse, do not have enough counselors, do not have enough instructional specialists. And I'm like, where could that money go? Yeah. Where could it go? That's, that's, okay, that's, I'm off that soapbox. But yes. But also, you're absolutely my right. question that I don't have the answer for for deeper learning is are these school resource offers? So, yes, yeah, is there training officers, specific yeah. to those things? One comparison that we brought up when we were talking about when we were initially talking about this conversation was that our society is putting a lot of expectations on just a few career types. So we expect too many things out of our teachers and our schools. And we expect too many things, I think Mm -hmm. out of our police officers, because you're asking them to show up to many instances, lots of different things. When we did have the conversation with a local police officer, he was saying they had gotten special training for dealing with people with mental illness, but should that 
be their purview or maybe somebody without a gun could show up in those cases right great question hannah i'd love to know our listeners thoughts yeah i'd love to know your thoughts about that should they be should we have the expectation they should have all kinds of specialized training and it's it's a generalization i compare it to the military it's like in the military no joke not only did I know have to know how to be a firefighter, I had to know how to do my job. Then I trained to be an auxiliary police officer for the gate. I was a financial specialist, a sexual assault response coordinator. Like you get all these things that you don't become a specialist in. Like you're not actually or fit a fitness coordinator. Like that you're not actually. You never. You're not proficient. Yeah. Wide knowledge base, but not deep in it. You're just. Yes, and then there are cases where it needs to be deep because you can ruin a career, especially on something like fitness, right? Saying mm-hmm. the wrong thing to a victim, um, mm-hmm. not using your weapon properly, not knowing how to properly put out the fire if you're not like there are these things where, you know, you you you, you gotta make some you gotta make a lot of chiefs. Yeah. Right? Make this person a chief in that. And we should have six chiefs. Meaning they don't have to run the show, but when they're at the show, they know how to make things happen. And they're not trying to recall information that they haven't right. well, used in two years. Well, you're kind of leading us to this point, which is that nobody is the antagonist in their own story. Everybody is, everybody thinks of themselves as the good guy. So, yeah. So that brings us to the fact that these pushes in different forms have happened for a while. We're not this is not the first time in history that we're talking about police reform. And they have largely been thwarted by police unions. So we felt like we should bring that up. Uh yeah. Yeah. You know, it to, to police unions because I and again, I'm not intimate with them, but from what um the little bit of data and knowledge that I've been getting about them is it's equivalent to being um, wealthy and on trial. You got a good lawyer. You got a good like you're already the system is going to work in your favor if you got the money. And because I'm honest, you know, I look at my mom was a part of a union, the UA, the United Auto Workers Union, and I see the pain that. <sighs> how they could do very good by her, but they could also be very morally bankrupt. Yep. I was in a union and it was complicated. <laughs> yes. It was complicated. So you were in acting, right? For, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it is complicated because it could do very great things, but it also could be very damaging. So we, that's how I feel like about the unions that it's wild. Cause I sat this morning and watched, um, CBS this morning and they had the union rep from Minnesota on and I just couldn't believe how he was unwilling to say that certain things were a problem it, and the interviewer said it I just feel like what you're saying is protect blue it blew at all costs no matter whether it's wrong or right mm-hmm. the thought being that they're putting their lives on the line so they have to make decisions in the heat of the moment that only they can make. I get, I'm tr- I'm saying it out loud to try and work through in my mind how you can condone some of the things that we've seen just yeah. even recently. Yeah. 
So they, they have this power that allows them to allow officers that have been maybe really terrible reinstated after they've been fired, if they have been. Um, or to still receive a pension. Or, yeah. Yep. I think they're the missing piece of the puzzle with all of this. Is the unions? The unions. I think they're a missing. they're missing as a part of this conversation about how we deal and manage policing. Because they have a lot of freaking power. Yeah, even over politicians. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we can link some articles. That's not just my, That's my not- opinion out of nowhere. Yeah. So I saw in Minnesota that they tried to push for some reforms and Republicans and Democrats couldn't make a decision. And so no decision was made. Hmm. So... It brings me to how many people approach elections, which is like, which is the lesser of two evils or ending up just kind of gambling for the thing that you think will be the surefire win. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Legislating, I imagine, is not easy. But I in a war of ideals, I just don't know how you win. Well... I wish this didn't feel like such a radical thought, Bam. but, but I think that as right as I feel about the way, about the things that I believe about policing and police reform, I'm don't know that I'm going to get my way without the input of somebody who feels diametrically opposed to me. Mm. And so though I think you and I might agree on certain things, what we can agree on is that there's a bunch of people who look like you and who look like me who are very, very scared. And there's a bunch of people who look like you and who look like me who want safety and shelter and they see opposite ways of going about getting those things. And... It seems like if people were able to have more conversations with people in their networks that disagreed with them, we might be able to better get at the chestnut of what binds us and and maybe the things that we're opposing aren't as great as they look when they're blown up by the media. Yeah. Maybe that's really naive and maybe I, that's a privilegey thing for me to say, but... It is a hope that I have for people wow. to be able to have the conversations when they're when they feel that they can, that it's safe for their own mental health and their own emotional labor. If that feels like something you can do, then you should do that. That sounds like a beautiful so what now what? Oh yeah. It does. Yeah. Well, maybe that's my so what now what? What's yours? I I would say my so what now what would be if it was an action, if there was a so what now what sort of action, I would say is the best thing that we can do for ourselves is follow the money in a lot of these things. And I think that looks different in any town, USA, that. I think it's important that no matter what side of this that you're on, I think you said it beautifully, Hannah, the other day, is look at where the funds are being and where they're not being put 
and decide is that a priority if it's your you know or not and then it, the next step would be to advocate and figure out what what of these because i think you're going to fall in one of these four sides right the defund the reform the abolish or the everything's good you you're not everything's good but you're okay with the way things are status quo yep so sitting with that fear because i'm sure that people i'm sure that there were many people in the United States, many Americans that were afraid when they said abolish slavery. I, I'm, I'm 100% sure there was a, there was a f very healthy fear of how will we be still a wealthy country? How will, how will their people's livelihoods continue without slavery? And I'm not saying I'm gonna abolish police, but uh, when you're trying to do some really tough radical change, it's not gonna feel good for everybody. Uh, but, I know the right side of history is not ignoring this. The yeah. right side of history is not saying that something's got to give. That's all that I'm saying. And that's an action of you can just see and advocate. Hey, I do. I do appreciate the police, but I do think X, Y, I do feel more strongly about education or I feel I don't know. There's so many different questions, but I think that there's a start yeah, and one last thing that is a big topic, but maybe we'll just tag on here and then come back to is a citizens advisory board. Yes. Yes, they've shown to be pretty effective in many different cases that if your city is looking just as you have boards and commissions for art, trees, planning, there could be a citizen advisory board that could do one of two things. You know, they can investigate, they can audit or they can, I, I can't remember the last part, but they would also be like an in-between to say when there's misconduct with the police, you've got your trusted agents in the community that are able to look at that case and say, okay, this doesn't seem right. As a, on behalf of the community, we wanna ask or see this, or we audited what you guys did. That didn't seem, doesn't seem like this is par for course. So let's look at how we're, not not just the punitive side, but just how we're dealing with uh, misconduct within the police department. So that's a great that is a great thing to advocate for. I don't see that doing harm unless you decide that you don't want your citizen advisory board to look like your community, because that is right. the whole issue here. <laughs> yeah, we invite you to stay open, stay curious, take a baby step to betterment, and make it a great day closer to history what is it like rate subscribe review we need a like a rate and rate. subscribe subscribe and review that's hard subscribe like. and review doesn't roll off the tongue just do it so we don't have to do that rap again <laughs> <laughs> you guys will see you in the hood catch us tuesday night every tuesday we got something new for you so whether it's a new pod or a tuesday night live every third Tuesday of the month. We're always here for you. So we're so glad we're neighbors. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Au revoir.